not all of the stories that you read are found in all the Gospels, but this particular one is found in all four Gospels this evening. And there's a lot more that's going on here than I've got time to deal with tonight. Um, but I want to take one element of this. I preached on this before, and I've said this even on a Sunday morning. This is one of those stories that happened. There are multiple things that are happening. And so I deliberately used two words in the title tonight, revolution and compassion. This is a huge, huge story tonight. So let's look at Mark chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from their ministry tour and told Jesus all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Now you need to stand. They're exhausted. They're needing a break. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He's preaching the gospel. That's what you need to see here. He's preaching the gospel. Late in the afternoon, so he's taught a long time. Late in the afternoon, his disciples said to him, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away. Look at me. They've had enough of the crowds. Okay? They've had enough of the people. They want them to go home. So they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. Now, I want you to hear the sarcasm here. Don't miss this. With what? Okay? So you get it? I mean, this is very sarcastic. With what? We'd, we'd have to work months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Can you imagine talking to Jesus like that? No, me neither. So he says to them, how much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples, have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, and a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. The first time I remember hearing this story, I'm a kid, and there's a flannel graph. And they're putting the pictures of the flannel graph of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it is such a sweet scene. I mean, people have got their picnic blankets spread out on the ground. They're having fish and chips and everybody's smiling and Jesus is feeding them. That's my first memory. And that's a good way to teach a child about this parable. Because like I said, there's a lot going on here. But there's an old rock and roll song that I use for the first line, so you'll want a revolution. And that's what's going on. Jesus has come to the hill country. He's come to the rural part of Israel. He's crossed the Sea of Galilee. And this is the hotbed of all the revolutionary resistance. If you've been watching The Chosen, who is the zealot on The Chosen? He carries the curved knife until Jesus touched him. 
Well, I don't want to give it away. There you go, Simon. Yeah. If you haven't been watching, you want to watch The Chosen because this is the hotbed. This is people, they've had enough of the government. They want to overthrow Roman rule, and that's where Jesus has come to. You also need to understand that these people welcomed the zealots in this part of the country. They were, they were happy to have the zealots. They were very sympathetic to them. I, I've told you this before, but you may not remember, but I was preaching in West Virginia when a wildcat strike was going on. And when I got to where I was supposed to be and checked in the hotel, I was in a suit because I'd just flown in there. And the front desk clerk looked at me and he says, Mr. Clanton, you need to take that suit off. You need to get rid of that tie. There's a wildcat strike going on. And the only people wearing coats and ties around here are from Cincinnati, and we don't like them very much. And he said, there'll be a lot of drinking. There'll be a lot of shooting tonight. You don't want to do that. So I went to church in my jeans and my shirt. And then I put on my suit when I got to church that night to preach. Well, this is the place. There's just a lot of excitement going on. And so when you read this, this is another one of those things that I wouldn't have taught in a Sunday school class. You've got 5,000 men their families showing up. We just read that. So you've got anywhere from 15,000 to 20,000 people that are showing up. These are people that want a revolution. These are people that want to overthrow the Roman government. They're tired of being oppressed. They're tired of being persecuted. And John just comes out. When John shares this part of the story, John just comes out and he really puts it right there in your face. John chapter 6 and verse 15. When Jesus saw that they, this crowd, they were ready to force him to be their king and slip away into, he slipped away into the hills by himself. They wanted Jesus to lead this revolution. They saw what Jesus had done with the disciples. Remember, we just, the first part of this, the disciples had come back from preaching. Now, just go back to, to week, last week. What had happened last week that we talked about? Herod had beheaded John the Baptist. News of this spread throughout Galilee. This is, people are angry. People are upset with Herod. This is, this is fuel to the fire. Herod knows this is fuel to the fire. And so they're ready for a revolution. They saw that now the disciples were able to cast out demons. Now the disciples were able to heal the sick. And they had rejoiced. They come back to Jesus telling him these stories. So they're saying if he could do it for the disciples, he could do it for us. And we could overthrow Rome and be done with these blasted Romans once and for all. Secondly, what I want you to see tonight, though, is Jesus is going to start a revolution, but it's a different type. It's a different kind of revolution. Because when Jesus' boat lands there, and he sees these people, the, the word for compassion there, it's visceral. It's like your, pardon the way I'm going to say this, it's your guts. He feels it inside of him, all the way down into his stomach. He feels compassion on them, and it propels him right out of that boat. Everybody's tired. The disciples really don't want the crowd to be there. They want the time alone with Jesus. They want the time to rest and to recover. And one of the things you've got to always remember, God is always compassionate towards seekers. God is always compassionate towards lost people. These people came seeking. They came seeking for the wrong reason. But Jesus welcomes people who come seeking for the wrong reason. He's able to correct them. Can you say amen to that? He's able to teach them and he's able to guide them. Now, we see this as a very pastoral image. I mean, when I see this, Jesus getting out of the boat as a pastor, I see this. He's, 
He's ready to love them. He's ready to serve them, and rightfully so. That's how we should see this. But I want you to notice verse 34, because this is a key verse to understanding the story and why it's left here. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is a quote from Moses' prayer. These exact words are a quote from the prayer of Moses in Numbers 27 and verse 17. Moses is praying, give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and will lead them into battle so the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. What's he saying? He says, Lord, raise up a political leader. Raise up a military leader. Raise up someone, God, that will lead your people, and he's very clear here, into battle. He doesn't want them to be like sheep without a shepherd. When we look at this, we're seeing it different than a, a, a military leader. We see the pastoral image that Jesus models for us and that we're taught in, for instance, the epistles of Timothy and Titus. We see how this is supposed to happen, but that's not what the people see. When Jesus saw they wanted to make him king by force, he did something very unusual. He began to preach the gospel. Think the Sermon on the Mount. Think the Beatitudes. Meekness, which is power under control, which is strength under control. Poor in spirit, pure in heart that will see God. That's what you need to begin to think here because he's going to teach a long time. Now, who is he speaking to? I've had the privilege of doing this. It's frightening. It was frightening for me. But I've had the privilege on more than one occasion of doing this. He's preaching to guerrilla leaders. And the guerrilla leaders that I preach to, they've been passing out weapons. They've been passing out guns. They want a revolution. They wear revolutionary gear. They wear symbols about them. Jesus is preaching to the same kind of people. Remember how Simon and the Chosen, he's always exercising. He's got that dagger, and, and I'm not going to take you too much further in case you haven't watched it. You really need to watch this. He's really talking to these kind of people like Simon. And what he begins to tell them, they don't like very much. But he tells them, if you will listen to my word, I will set you free. I will liberate you. And God's still doing that today. And what does he do with the disciples? Now, the disciples, remember James and John? Remember when they came to the Samaritan village and some of the Samaritans mocked them? What did they want to do? They wanted to call down fire from heaven on them. Simon would have wanted to, I mean, these, these are people, they kind of like some Christians today when it comes to political seasons. Some Christians, when it comes to politics, they forget their Christianity and they begin to parrot everything that some radical political leader is saying. We always have to remember we represent Christ first. So what does Jesus get the disciples doing? They are learning how to distribute bread. Now, you've got to see the book of Numbers here as well. Because remember how Moses would divide up the people and have them, you know, in certain places. He's divided up the people now. And what he does is, he says, listen, I'm not about the zealot model. I'm not about the model of guerrilla warfare. But I am all about liberation. And you might want to write that in your outline somewhere. Jesus is not about the zealot model. But he is all about liberation. And the reason that this is so important, that God takes the disciples 
and he has them to begin to distribute the bread is because God is doing the same thing through you and through me today. God calls us to let his compassion flow through us. God calls us to let the bread of life as well as physical bread flow through us. God calls us to be people that will represent him. Now, here's what I've learned. I've only been the middleman a couple of times in my life. But i got to tell you something. It's not easy being the middleman. It's not easy being the middleman. As a matter of fact, the middleman is not really appreciated that very much. If you've ever built a house, you try to cut out the middleman if you've taken charge of the construction project yourself. If you've ever sold a house, you try to cut out the middleman, the realtor, because if you can sell it yourself, then you, you keep the percentage that you pay the real estate agent. The middleman is not always very popular, but what the disciples were being for Christ was the middleman, and that's what you and I are called to be as well. Joe Stowell, this reminded me of a sermon that Joe Stowell preached. Joe Stowell was the president of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And um, matter of fact, he used to pastor up in South, uh, Southfield here in Michigan. Just a great man, great guy. I've had the privilege of meeting him. But in this message, he told about Dan Rather being on campus. I had the message, so I quoted, I'm going to quote quite a length from it because you need to get this because I think it represents what happens to us all the time, especially during the political season. Dan Rather was on our campus, Moody Bible Institute. Dan Rather was on our campus a couple of years ago to interview, you can follow me here on the screen if you want to, to interview a national radio broadcast open line. Dan Rather had not been one of my favorite people. I looked at him as part of the left-wing media establishment with its secular, pluralistic, relativistic God philosophy. He seemed a little cold to me and a touch arrogant, and he was never one of my favorite acre men, and there he was on our campus. Well, during the break, he and I spent a bit of time together, and I was shocked because he was the warmest individual. He seemed interested in everything I was saying, and he seemed to care about me. He said, I grew up in a Baptist home. In my grandma's house, the only thing she had to read were the Bible and Sears Roebuck catalog. Can you hear Rather saying that? He was a real folksy kind of guy. He continued, my grandmother read me the Bible every day. He went back to the interview, and at the close, as the tapes were rolling, ready to go nationwide, one of the interviewers said to him, Mr. Rather, excuse me, I don't want to hurry anything, but if you were to die today and stand before God at the edge of heaven, and God were to say to you, Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? He paused and said, Well, I'd have to say it wouldn't be for anything I've done. It would have to be totally by the grace of God. All of that to say this. I have no idea. Now, this is Stowell speaking. I have no idea what his spiritual condition is. This is not a statement about his spiritual condition. It is a statement about a shame I bear in my heart. The shame is it didn't cross my mind once to pray for Dan Rather, that God would compassionately reach out and embrace his soul, cancel hell, guarantee heaven, and fill him with abundant living. I hate to tell you that. It's just never crossed my mind. I was too mad about all this stuff. Notice that. I was too mad about all this stuff to think about his need for a Savior. I refuse to be a middleman in a compassion transaction. Middleman in a compassion transaction. Underline that. Middleman in a transpassion, in a compassion transaction between God and one who possibly needed him.
That's a powerful statement, folks. Because in a lot of ways, if we're not careful, that reflects us having a zealot model in our hearts rather than being passionate followers of Christ. It was amazing how when I appeared with the governor a couple of years ago, how many people got angry at me about that. Some people in our community who still won't speak to me because I appeared with that woman. You know, it's easy because, and when I've asked them, have you ever prayed for her? Have you ever prayed for this person? Boy, you can see their faces turn red. We probably share the same political aspirations as far as when it comes to life and, and babies and things of that nature, but we can't allow hate and we can't allow the model of zealotry to enter our hearts. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because God calls us to be the middle men and women of a compassion transaction between Christ and between lost people. We have the bread of life to offer people. We model that every day of our life. God's word is the bread that we share. What we're doing tonight, the whole reason that we're on a live stream and the whole reason we're here tonight is because the word of God is bread for us. Uh, Look at Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's equating the Word of God with bread for our souls, bread for our lives. You've got a much deeper hunger than for bread. One of my Jewish friends texted me today and just to say, you know, wish us a happy Easter and their beginning, Passover begins tonight. And he said, I have my last bagel for the next eight days. And I texted him back and says, oh, don't feel bad. I can't wait Easter Sunday. I am picking out on desserts. Probably not the best way to say it to one of my Jewish friends, but I am picking out on desserts come Easter Sunday morning. And we had a good laugh back and forth, you know, as we're, as we're sharing. But here's the deal. I'm hungry. I'm looking forward to banana pudding and coconut cake. I'm going to sin boldly, okay? But the point is this. There is a deeper hunger in our lives than bread and meat and drink. It's for the word of the Lord. Because if you're not fed by God's word, you're going to starve to death. If you're not feeding upon the word of God daily and living it out, you're going to starve. Now, here's a collection of verses from John chapter 6 I want to read you about the bread. Jesus is talking to this same crowd because they want to make him by king by force. He says, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. And the scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, Jesus told them, he said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven, the true bread of God, who is the one come down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh." 
Now remember, they want to make him king by force. And he says, the only reason you want me to be king is because of the miracles and because I fed you bread. I, one night I was watching uh, with the kids on, um, uh, I forget what, whatever the movie channel is, on television. I was watching the Harry Potter thing. And Albedore, Albus Dumbledore, I think is how you say his name, he walks down this hall, and there's all these kids getting ready to eat. And all of a sudden, he just holds out his hands, and all magically, all these trays begin to descend down with all this delicious food onto the table. And everybody's clapping, and everybody's cheering. Whenever some of the young people here at the church say, Pastor, you've got to see this movie, the special, special effects, they're incredible. You see, the world has always been impressed by special effects. And that what the devil was really saying to Jesus was, he was really saying to him, look, forget about the bread stuff. Forget about the cripple stuff. Remember when he told him to jump off the temple and, and the, the angels of the Lord will bury him up? That's what the word said. He says, do a loop-to-loop over the Sea of Galilee. That will really impress people. Why? Because we love special effects. But it's interesting to me, it's interesting to me that Jesus didn't just do his hands like that, though he could have done it, and magically, tra well, not magically, supernaturally, trays would have appeared. But he looked for something that they had. And that's what God always does. He uses the little we have to do the impossible. Jean-Paul Sartet, the philosopher, atheist philosopher from France, he said these words, he said that God does not exist. I cannot deny that my whole being cries out for God. I cannot forget. In other words, as an atheist, he's saying, I deny there's a God, but everything in me is crying out for God. Can you imagine the twisting, the tearing, the pulling apart in his life is he saying I refuse to believe in God but everything in me these inner fears in my life the emptiness in my life the futility of life if you've ever read any of his, his stuff all of it he says it's why my being cries out for God and friends what God gives us is his son he gives us the bread of life and his word is different than any other word it lives for us today and then finally tonight God calls us to do the impossible for which we are unqualified. All my life, it seems like God has been saying, I want you to do this, and I look at it and go, that's just impossible. Lord, I'm not qualified. And maybe you're sitting in here tonight, or maybe you're watching online, and you're thinking the same thing. I'm not qualified. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the skill sets. I don't have the background. I don't have the training. Or this is impossible. I can't tell you how many times I've had to talk with people and say, yes, it's impossible for us. But with God, all things are possible. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 37, Jesus said to those disciples, you feed them. Let's <laughs> think about that. You feed them. Jesus is asking them to do the, the impossible. It's the whole point. And so they come, and we know from another gospel, they come with a little boy's lunch, which was a miracle in itself, and the lunch is inadequate. And they say to Jesus, but what is this among so many? What is this among so many people? And Jesus says, now listen, I want you to follow this train. 
Jesus says, I want you to take the inadequate. I want you to go out with the inadequate. And as you go out with the inadequate to do the impossible, I will do the miracle. And there's what always separates people of faith from people who sit back and try to explain away miracles. I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of people who accept this as history, but they try to explain it away and say, well, there was really no miracle. This is just a way. There are always people trying to explain it away. God takes, he meets our needs, and he says, the work I call you to, it's impossible, but if you will go out with your inadequacies, I will work through you. And I can testify to that. God will work through you. Mark chapter 6 and verse 41. Jesus took up the five loaves and two fish, and he looked up towards heaven, and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread. Look at that. He kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. And he divided the fish for everyone to share. When he took that bread, he would have probably prayed a Jewish blessing like this. We thank you, O Father, for the gift of the earth, for bread that you have given to us. And you might be thinking tonight, I can't make a difference. <laughs> Pastor, you just, you just don't know. I, I, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know. I can't. I can't. There's an old African proverb that one of my professors in my, when I was doing my graduate work talked to me, taught me. He says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, Try, try spending the night in a closed room with a mosquito. Never had that happen? You know, you'll turn that light on, you'll find that mosquito. <laughs> or else you'll bury your head under the cover trying to get away from that mosquito. Jesus will use you to make a difference. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, take eat, for this is my body. You see, what happened at the Sea of Galilee with those zealots, Jesus is now about to fulfill. Let me give you just two closing points on this tonight and we'll pray. First of all, you need to see this whole story about the breaking of the bread, the feeding of the 5,000, is that Jesus is my substitute. Jesus is my substitute. Look at me. Jesus, if Jesus had not been broken to pieces on the cross, you and I would be broken to pieces. Because Jesus gave his life and was broken for us, that's why we can be whole. And that's an important point. He blessed the bread, he broke it, he gave it, they ate, they were satisfied, they collected leftovers. What happens is that Jesus gave himself at Calvary so that the broken pieces of our life could be put back together and made whole. Aren't you grateful for that? And the second thing is he becomes in our example. And he tells us to do unto others the way he's done unto us. And I'm just, just going to show you two ways. When we give, we're changing lives. We're touching countries that we can't even get into we're touching nations we're changing lives in our community we're changing the lives of children in our community when we give we're substituting for christ when we give of our time we're substituting for christ when we give of our friendship to lost people and build relationships so they can 
see who we are and do life with us. Yesterday I had a Muslim surgeon just want to talk to me and he says, Pastor Clanton, do you believe we're living in the last days? And for about an hour, it was one of those Kairos moments. I didn't have time for this yesterday. But it was, and I just used that as an illustration with you on Wednesday night before. It was just one of those Kairos moments when we stopped and we had a long conversation. You see, when you give a friendship with people that may really disagree with you, you've got to trust that God is doing the impossible through you. Because I was thinking of everything else I had to do, it was just like suddenly he could have gone to his imam and asked this question. Instead, he wants to talk to you. Give of your time, give of your friendship, give of your finances, let God use you, and then finally, understand the power of relationships. God calls you and I to be restorers and healers of relationships, healers of people, physically, spiritually, and emotionally as well. Can you say amen? I promised him I'd finish up real quick so they could get started tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to pray, and then we're going to have a Q&A session here. I hope you'll be with us Good Friday for our Good Friday services here, and especially on Easter. Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you so much that, Lord, you gave yourself for us at Calvary so that we could be saved. We could be born again. I thank you that you feed us daily with your word. May we, Lord, each make it the first appointment of our day just to spend a few minutes reading a portion of your word and asking you to speak to us and pray. And then I pray that we'll be able to give out of that daily to others, despite our inadequacies, despite our lack of qualification, trusting that you will work through us. For it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Good night.